Hey guys, Sam here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to preface it by saying that you'll hear me sniff a lot during this episode, and I just want to say that I'm not sick. Uh, It's a tick, and you'll hear a little bit of clicking noises, and those are also ticks, but just wanted to let you know if that's annoying. I'm really sorry, Um, but yeah, let's get into the episode. This podcast is not run by medical professionals and is not able to replace any kind of professional care or opinion. We recognize self-diagnosis as valid on this podcast and sometimes necessary for several neurodivergent conditions. However, this podcast or its hosts cannot diagnose you. Comorbid Conundrums is a podcast to help build community and awareness around living with mental illness and neurodivergent conditions. I am not a doctor, therapist, or any type of medical provider. I am simply a neurodivergent human sharing my experiences with my own conditions. So with that said, let's get into the podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Comorbid Conundrums. This is Sam. I'm really excited to be here. I hope you all are doing well, and um, I hope you are excited for another episode, because I am. Today, I'm just going to be doing kind of a follower Q&A. Some of you asked me questions on my disorders and my co-occurring conditions, so I wanted to answer some of those questions um, about that um, and just give a little more insight on into my life and what I deal with and... um, Yeah, if you ever have questions, you can always message me on Instagram or on ShareSpace. I have a free discussion group if you want to check that out. The link will be in my bio soon if it isn't already. So I'm just going to get right into it and answer some of these questions that I have from my story on Instagram. But yeah, if you want to ever ask me a question message me on ShareSpace, or message me on Instagram. So, uh, the first question. Are you going to have other people on this podcast? And the answer is yes. I am going to have other people on the podcast. Um, It's, I'm the sole host, um, but I will have guests on here every once in a while to talk about their own conditions and to compare experiences and you know, just have another person on here to um, bounce conversation on, off of. So I'm very excited. I have quite a few people lined up for episodes, um, working out the details for that, but stay tuned. I have a lot of great people um, with a lot of great experiences and stories to share. So be on the lookout for that. Another question, what are future episodes going to look like on the podcast? So I kind of um, just explained that with my previous answer, but um, it's going to be more conversation based on, you know, my own experiences versus other people's experiences. Um, I want to talk about what life is really like living with comorbidities, which is basically co-occurring conditions. Um, It's just going to be conversation um, and just a really great way to spread awareness on different mental disorders or neurodivergent conditions that a lot of people live with but it isn't talked about or there's 
stereotypes in the media that kind of get in the way of what people are actually dealing with. So I'm definitely going to be focusing on that in future episodes. Another question. Um, This says, I know this is a bit personal, but how do you find it having tics? Also love your posts. Thank you so much. Um, I find it very frustrating, quite honestly. I've only had tics um, in the past couple weeks that I've noticed. I can think back to a couple years of having very mild tics stuff like shutters, eye rolling, facial tics, Um, but I didn't notice them. They weren't bothersome and they didn't cause me any distress up until this past, the past couple weeks. I've been having a lot of tic attacks, um, been having a lot of muscle spasms and convulsions, and honestly, it has not been fun. Um, I don't know if I just have a late onset tick disorder or what, um, I am going to be seeking medical, uh, advice pretty soon, but I find it frustrating and I find it confusing and, um, I just honestly really want to know what's going on so that I can learn to manage them. The next question is also about my tics. It says, are your tics more involuntary tics or more voluntary to get rid of the tick feeling? And... As far as I'm aware of my tics, I would say they're more involuntary. Um, I don't think that I have any premonitory urge or sensation in my body before I have the tic. Um, It kind of just happens. And a lot of the time my tics come in pairs or in groups. So if I have one tic, often um, it's followed by another tick, um, or multiple ticks, but usually there's no sensation that I am aware of that comes before it. It kind of just happens. Okay, next question. What were your first signs of BPD? So, this is interesting. Um, I think my first signs of borderline personality disorder that I showed were probably my fear of abandonment in uh, some of my relationships and some intense anger and splitting. Um, I don't remember exactly what age those signs first started, but um, in high school I went through quite a bit of trauma and um, my fear of abandonment really grew, um, especially when I got into my first relationship and latched onto someone. Uh, they quickly became my favorite person, um, which is an FP, and, um, my fear of being abandoned by them and the other people in my life quickly became very strong and, honestly controlled my life and the way I handled my relationships um and it's it honestly became very distressing and to me and to the other people in my life and in those relationships 
Um, and I think the other sign I said was intense anger and splitting. And I think I noticed splitting um, in high school as well, maybe sophomore, junior year of high school. Um, I, I always have been a very black and white thinker. I'm not sure if that's um, the BPD or if that's the uh, autism or um, OCD. <laughs> Again, that's life with co-occurring conditions. Some symptoms or characteristics are it can be matched to so many different disorders that it's sometimes really difficult to say which disorder the symptom comes from, if that makes sense. But my black and white thinking, the splitting, which is basically thinking like being triggered to a point where you feel either you love someone, like you adore them, um, they are everything, or if you're triggered and either feel abandoned or insecure or, or whatnot, um, you, everything in your brain and body says that you hate that person and that you don't want anything to do with them and it's it feels like there's no in between it's just one or the other and that's not a constant state of being um in with having bpd but there are i've had episodes of splitting when that happens and it's either 100% all good or 100% all bad in whatever situation i'm in it can be with people things places uh pretty much anything but yeah I, I would say those were my first signs of bpd and probably still are the most prevalent ones that i have and the ones that caused me the most distress i would say all right the next question do you struggle with people not believing you and the answer to this one is yes in many different ways I struggle with trying to make other people believe me because I often get afraid that people don't believe me because past events have shown that most people don't believe what I say and they don't take me seriously. So I, I really do struggle with um, fearing that people won't believe me or feeling that people think I'm a fraud, um, even if they don't. But I also struggle with people in my life currently that don't believe me and my struggles. And that's also difficult because um, partly I, I struggle with, you know, the fear that people won't believe me and that stuff will come true. And then on the other hand, it does come true. And um, it doesn't, it's not true for everyone in my life. I have multiple people in my life that believe my struggles and are trying their best to support me um and some people in my life choose to not believe me and choose to remain ignorant about the struggles I'm I'm going through and that is a big struggle and I've honestly had to take a step back from certain people in my life um and that's been pretty difficult too but dealing with feeling like a fraud and um imposter syndrome is really <laughs> i've i've had that for a long long time and 
Um, I honestly don't think that is going away anytime soon. But when you have a fear of something and then someone else proves it right, that just solidifies the fear and um, makes it stronger. So it can be really difficult when you're already struggling with imposter syndrome and then you have people in your life saying you're faking or you were fine last year why are you struggling now or you were fine as a kid why are you acting like this um and having people tell you that can really solidify the fear that other people might think i'm a fake or people will think i'm a fraud or what if i am faking and those thoughts can be really scary but I will say that if you are having the thoughts of, am I a fraud? Am I faking? Do other people think I'm faking? Most likely you're not faking because if you're having the imposter syndrome, um, that's proof that, <laughs> that you're struggling with something and that if, if you're having the thoughts of imposter syndrome, then you are definitely not faking. All right, next question also talks about imposter syndrome. It says, how do you deal with imposter syndrome? And I will preface this by saying that I am currently in therapy. My work in therapy is nowhere close to being done. (laughs) And I struggle with imposter syndrome on nearly a daily basis. Sometimes um, the imposter syndrome takes a break for a while for a few days and gives me a break but for the most part I struggle with it on a nearly daily basis and you know I've had to learn um, self-soothing talk to try and calm my anxiety around my imposter syndrome and learn to say that okay even if I don't have this disorder or even if I don't have this diagnosis or this condition, the accommodations I'm using right now are helping. The tools that I'm using are helping and the therapy I'm going to for my symptoms is helping, right? So if, if all those things are true, then there's no way that I can be a fraud, right? If the accommodations are working, then they're working. So that's kind of how I talk to myself um, when I'm dealing with imposter syndrome, like pretty badly. Um, If I feel like I am not autistic or I'm scared that I'm faking or I'm worried that people think that I'm not autistic because I haven't been diagnosed yet. Um, I tell myself, okay, even if I'm not autistic, even if I never get a diagnosis, stimming helps me. Accommodations help me. My headphones for my sensory issues help me. So even if I'd never get the diagnosis, there are still things in place that help me and that's what really matters managing symptoms managing distress is the goal really getting a diagnosis and being able to 
understand your condition or your neurodivergence is ideal, but sometimes that's not possible. But if you have accommodations that work and they're working and you like them and I don't see why that's wrong and I tell myself that all the time, like even if you're not autistic, um, you can still use these accommodations and they're helping. And that kind of proves to me, like, if these accommodations are helping, that kind of proves I'm autistic, right? Allistic people don't stim as much as I do. Allistic people don't wear their headphones to block sensory, uh, to block noise in stores like I do. They don't do all this stuff that I do and that other autistic people do. So if I'm doing them, <laughs> that, that must prove something. That must show something to myself. And so I kind of have to take a step back when I'm dealing with imposter syndrome and kind of look at all the things that I'm using to help me manage my symptoms and distress and, you know, kind of look at it from that perspective. Um, And that really helps a lot. And I've seen quite a few other people, uh, autistic people, talk about that and how looking at the accommodations you use as a way to help um, talk down the imposter syndrome um, is a really, is really great and it really works. So I would really suggest trying that and, um, and I've even (laughs) tried um, not using accommodations. I've, um, when when my imposter syndrome has been really bad, I've told myself, I'm not autistic. I don't have sensory issues. I'm faking. So I went to the store without my headphones, without my comfort item, without my scripted to-do list. I went in, I stood (laughs) in the, I guess, foyer of the store, and I did not know what to do. I walked right back out. I was confused. The lights were so bright. I heard every single noise in that store, and uh, my brain felt like it was going to explode. And I turned around, and I walked out. I went to my car, and I cried. And I realized then that, okay, (laughs) I'm not faking, right? And uh, please don't put yourself in distressing situations to prove something to yourself. Do not do that. That was not advice. <laughs> that was a stupid thing I did. And I will never do it again because um, I, don't, I don't need to put myself in distressing situations to prove my neurodivergence. Uh, the accommodations work and I'm going to keep using them. So yeah, that's how I deal with imposter syndrome. If you're looking for support groups or just a neurodivergent-centered discussion page, download the ShareSpace app and search for my name, Divergent Dino. You can join my free discussion page or even subscribe to a support group that focuses on social anxiety, being trans, dealing with tics, and more. These subscription-based groups will give you access to exclusive content, support peers going through the same life experiences, and even the ability to create Zoom support calls. Subscribing to a group helps support me and allows me to continue sharing my experiences online. It also gives you a way to connect with others on a more personal level. ShareSpace is a great app that focuses on destigmatizing mental health 
and I'm very excited to see where this goes. I'm not the only creator on ShareSpace either. You can find other creators or even licensed psychologists. You can ask me or other people questions, ask for support, and make friends without being hassled by Instagram ads. So download the free app and come chat with me. I hope to see you there. All right, next question. Are you on medication? And the answer is yes, I am. Uh, Because this is not a medical advice show, um, I'm not going to give the names of my medications because medications are different for everyone. And sometimes it works for people, sometimes it doesn't. And many medications can be used for different things. So I'm not going to be giving out the names of the medications I'm on or the dosages. But I will say that, yes, I am on medication and um, it's for my depression and anxiety. And um, it has been working to help manage my depression. Um, My anxiety has been pretty bad recently so I'm definitely going to be talking to my psychiatrist pretty soon about upping my dosages um, or changing medications or whatever Um, and I'm also going to be talking to her about my recent onset of tics and trying to figure out if medication is uh, something I need to do for those as well all right next question do you have any tips for advocating for yourself This one's tricky because I struggle with advocating for myself in my personal life. Um, I have a really difficult time saying no to people due to masking and due to learning how to people please and not really stand up for myself. Um, Advocating for your needs and for your accommodations is necessary for all neurodivergent people. Because if we don't stand up for ourselves and we don't ask for what we need, we're just going to suffer in silence. Um, And one part of neurodivergent advocacy as a whole is, you know, advocating for yourself on a personal level. So I'm trying really hard to get better at that. Um, I advocate online to large groups of people, but when it comes to advocating for myself with a person one-on-one, I have a really difficult time with that. Um, I've been really good at using my personal accommodations like my sunflower lanyard, my headphones, my comfort items, um, and other things I use to help with my sensory sensitivities. I've been getting better at asking for accommodations at my school, which I will be (laughs) attending school pretty soon, uh, less than a month. I'll be moving into the dorms, and um, I've been pretty good at asking for accommodations that I know I'm going to need with them. And it's definitely decreased my anxiety going to new places, knowing that I have specific accommodations in place and that it's okay for me to wear my headphones in the building, or it's okay for me to walk out of the room and take a break when I need to without feeling like I'm disrupting everyone. And so I would just say, trying to find wherever you are, if it's with school, or if it's with work, or if it's with family, find a safe person that 
you can talk to about your needs and your accommodations and your struggles. Most colleges have a disability center where you can get accommodations and talk about your struggles and needs um, and utilize that resource. You Utilize the hell out of that resource because they are there for you and they're not going anywhere. Their job is to literally make sure you have accommodations. So go to them. If you're in college, go to them. Ask them what for what you need. If you don't even know what you need, they can help you with that. I've had meetings with um, advisors about my accommodations where I've said, I don't know what accommodations I need, but I have these struggles. What do other students do? Right? I'm not the only one with sensory issues or social anxiety or tics. So what I've done is I've asked my advisors, what do other students use and what works for those students with the same struggles that I'm having? And for the most part, I've gotten really great responses from the advisors and from the school itself about what accommodations they are able to give me and what works for other people and that I can change my accommodations at any time. And it's been a really great, it, honestly, it's been a great process and I feel very, um, very safe um, knowing that when I go to school, I will have the ability to get accommodations that I need um, all I need to do is send an email or go to the disability center and talk with someone. And with work, um, I've had to ask for different days or I've had to take days off before and request accommodations at work. And sometimes that can be really difficult and a little more stressful because fear that you will lose your job or fear that your employer won't listen to you and you'll just be miserable and then you'll feel awkward. And those are legitimate fears. Um, I think it's illegal for people to get fired for asking for accommodations. Uh, I don't know if that's in every state. I don't know if that's in every country. I think where I live, it's illegal. But Honestly, I don't think that stops people from being discriminatory, and that's really scary sometimes. But if you don't ask, then you'll never know. If you don't ask someone to turn the lights lower so that it's not blinding you, or if they can stop whistling, or um, if you're able to uh, take breaks, right? If you never ask for those things, then you'll never get them. So I, you know, as scary as it is and as annoying it is that we have to advocate for ourselves just to be able to do the same things that other people are able to do, it's necessary for our survival. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say about that besides find a safe person, utilize the resources around you, whether that's with your school or work, and find a neurodivergent community in your area or online that can help support you in 
learning about what accommodations you need or how to advocate for yourself in specific situations. All right, next question. Do you have any tips for convincing your therapist to take you seriously? Um, I don't think you can convince anyone of anything. If someone wants to listen to you and take you seriously, they will. If they want to learn, they will. They will try. Um, if your therapist is not taking you seriously, I suggest finding a new therapist. I've had to go through the therapist roundup many, many times. Uh, finding a good therapist is difficult. And finding a therapist that takes you seriously is, it can be almost impossible, but you, if you stay with a therapist that doesn't take you seriously or doesn't listen to your struggles, then they're not doing their job and you need to find someone else. So those are my tips. <laughs> find a new therapist if they are not taking you seriously. Well, that about wraps up today's episode. Thank you guys for submitting your questions. I had a great time answering them. If you want to ask me a question, you can send me a message on ShareSpace or Instagram, and I will try to respond as quickly as I can. I try to read every message that I get. Sometimes I'm just not able to. Um, I see your messages, I hear what you guys are saying, and I love you all, but sometimes I just don't have the energy. So thank you for being patient with me. And if you want to ask me a question, definitely reach out and... I will definitely try to respond. So thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and stay tuned for the next one. 